You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Amen. Thanks, Kyle. Good morning, church. So glad you all made it this morning. I just felt like during worship that I wanted to, to minister to anybody who's weary this morning. I just felt that promise brewing in my heart. Or Jesus said, you know, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if there's a weary person online listening or if you're here this morning and you're weary, I want to just pray the love of God upon you to encounter you where you're at, that he sees you. He sees you in your weariness, in your tiredness, in your loneliness. He sees you this morning. Would you just close your eyes in this place? I want you to receive the love of God. Lord, I believe there's an individual here this morning that needs to sense the love of Jesus in, in a unique, personal, and, and intimate way. That you see them in their weariness. That you see them in their loneliness. You see them in their exhaustion and tiredness. And you're beckoning them, you're calling them to come to you. You've given this invitation for them to come to you, find their rest, their energy, their life, their joy, their peace in you and you alone. So God, I'm asking for that heart to rise up and come to you wholeheartedly this morning, throwing themselves at your feet. They'd find in you that your yoke is easy, your burden is light. That you are more than enough for them. It's in their weakness that you are made strong, that you're shown strong over their life. I pray that in your mighty name, amen. God sees you. Sometimes we just gotta know that. God sees, sees us, and he knows what you're facing. Um, I hope you came hungry this morning, hungry for, for the Lord, hungry for the word. That's been my prayer this week, is that God, Lord, would you bless us with hungry hearts? Um, you know, when you sit up at the table and you're hungry, Usually the person that, that cooked the food or serving the food, they don't have to convince you or teach you how to, how to eat. You're just like, you're rearing to go. You're ready to dive in. And I feel like there's an atmosphere in a house, in a church family, that is so, um, so attractive to the Lord when we have a hungry heart, when we have this openness and this humility to receive from him. That's been my prayer this week for you, is that, that the Lord would bless us with a hungry heart. We're continuing this series called The Prince from the Ashes this morning as we unpack and explore the love of God. I pray that this has been a blessing for you already. This entire series based on Psalm 113 that he, he takes, he takes uh, the needy from the ashes and he places us, positions us with princes. A beautiful story of the extravagant love of God. And so we have been using the lens of the Trinity, God revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to help us understand different dimensions of the love of God. And so last week we began to explore the love of the Father displayed towards you that speaks over you, that you are a child of God. I want us to, to press into that a little bit more and I want to just give you a little word of warning. This morning's message is a challenging message. This is a, a message, I'm not saying just challenging for me to deliver. I'm saying it's a challenging message to your heart and to um, specifically an aspect of your heart that continues to rear its, its, its ugly face throughout your days on this planet. It's this part of your heart called the orphan heart. 
This part of you that's the old you before you encountered Jesus that at times still rears its face and says, give me attention. Allow me to define you. And it's that orphan heart, that orphan spirit. I want to call that out this morning. And as we call out the orphan heart, the orphan spirit, you can, fi- you can find yourself sometimes like bristling a little bit, kind of getting uncomfortable. So this is your word of warning. I know you may be uncomfortable, and I'm okay with that. Sometimes the word of God uh, does that in our lives. So get ready. It's like going to the dentist. You know, you know it's the right thing for you. It's like, I know I need to go to the dentist. They're going to poke around. My gums are going to be bleeding when I leave. But it's like it's the right thing, right? Or eating vegetables or working out. You name your pain. I don't know what it is. But um, some, sometimes things that are good for us are challenging and difficult and uncomfortable. Well, this morning is that as we unpack and reveal and help us discern what this orphan heart is. And I want to tell you that we don't just cast out the orphan heart. We don't just wish it away. Instead, we displace it by speaking over ourselves and understand, coming into alignment with who we are as children of God. So we don't cast it out, we displace it with an understanding of what it means to be a child of God. See, you and I, we are born into this world as orphans. I know you, you have a mother and a father, I know that. But in reality, because we're born into a fallen world, we're born into this world with this instinct that we have to fight to survive, that we have to look out for ourselves because no one else is, that no one can be trusted. At some point in your life, there's a trust that is broken. You realize that this world is not certain, that this world is not a fairy tale, that this world is not going to be, this life is not going to be easy. You have people tell you, hey, everything's going to be all right. And then you quickly realize everything is not all right. And there's this part of you, Scripture calls it your flesh, that rears its face and begins to teach you the ways of the orphan. You have to fight to survive. You have to look out for yourself because no one else is. Don't get close to anybody because they'll just hurt you. For me, this happened, and I've talked about this this last couple weeks, this happened at a young age as I realized the brokenness in my own family before my eyes. I realized this is going to be a tough life. Life is not going to be easy. This is not a fairy tale. This is not going to be a happily ever after story. But, But for others, it comes in the form of rejection or disappointment or tragedy or loss or abuse of power or position or pain. All of these realities of the world reveal the orphan heart in us and give space for that orphan heart to grow. So that's, that's the, the bad news. But there's good news in Jesus Christ this morning. There is good news. It's God's extravagant love revealed through his son. It's God's revealed rescue story for us, to rescue us from our life as an orphan, to adopt us into a family, to be made new, amen? That is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he takes us from our life as an orphan, out on our own in this cold, dark world, and being actually adopted into a place where we belong in the family of God. That's made available to every single person. So here is the challenge. We are liberated from our old self through adoption in the Father, We have been liberated. Now we need to learn to live liberated. 
We have been loved. Now we need to learn to live as one who is loved. There's a liberation that's been brought upon our life from our old self, from your, your orphan self, your orphan heart, your or, orphan spirit. You've been liberated from that. You've been freed from that through adoption in the Father. And now what it looks like to walk with Christ, to come into maturity in Christ, is to learn to live as an adopted son or daughter. That's who you are now. To live as one who is loved well by a father in heaven. Amen? So over the last several weeks, I've been um, using the story of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, to, to unpack and help us understand the love of God. And specifically last week, the love of the father, if you've been with us. This morning, I want to I lean into that story one more time. I know it's a familiar story, and you, you oftentimes you hear of it as the, the, the story or the parable of the, the prodigal son. I want this morning for you to think about it as the prodigal of the two sons, because there are two sons in the story. And the, the younger son is the one who goes away and wastes away his dad's inheritance and eventually comes to his senses and, and wants to throw himself at his father's feet and ask for mercy. And, and in that place, he encounters an extravagant love in his father that he never saw coming, right? And he throws his robe around him, throws a ring on his finger, throws him a party. But there under his dad's roof was his older brother. And his older brother had been faithful. He had been consistent. But in reality, he had been living as an orphan. He didn't really understand his dad's character. You know, this whole time during the party that night in Luke 15, this is dad's throwing this big bash for his son who had returned. The older brother is brooding and this resentment's growing in his heart. Like, God, oh, he doesn't deserve this. I've been faithful this entire time. I've been so faithful to my father. I didn't go and do the stupid things that my younger brother did. No one appreciates me. No one, no one sees me. And you know, we all, we've all had those moments where we begin to get in our heads well, that was also, that's what was happening with the older brother. And in reality, he was living like an orphan and in his own father's house. And his father, as he goes to his father to rebuke his father for his mercy shown towards the younger brother, his dad gently rebukes him back, really. He says, what was lost is now found. My son has returned. Like this is the, the obvious reaction of a father who loves his son. And this is what he says to the older brother. He says, all that I have is yours. And it's been yours all along. He's been living under the goodness and the, the generosity of his father's house the entire time, but been living oblivious to it. And so in reality, although their paths were, were quite different from each other, the younger brother and the older brother, both were living with an aspect of this orphan heart. The older brother distrusted his father's character. He didn't think that he was truly good, kind, and generous. He assumed that his father's love was based on him doing all the right things. He resented his brother. He didn't know how to extend mercy because he had never openly received mercy. And so this morning, although all of our paths are a little different, just like the younger brother and the older brother, we all need to encounter the love of our Father. And for some, you've been living under the, the, your Father's roof as a follower of Jesus for a long time, but still sometimes there's aspects of the orphan heart that we've, we've 
allowed to fester and remain there way too long. For others, you've taken a much more deviant route. You know, you've, you've partied it up and you've rebelled and you've come back to the extravagant love of God. Your orphan heart was revealed to you in your own brokenness. And you came back and encountered love of God. Whatever your path has looked like, this morning, I want you to walk away with a greater understanding of what's available to you as a child of God. This is how John says it in first, his first letter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The love of God is displayed in that identity, that core gospel identity that's spoken over your life, that you can now be called a child of God. You can know the love of God for your life because now you can be called a child of God. And if God says you're a child of God, so you are. Romans chapter eight. We'll, we'll read there. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, this is a tough book. Romans is a tough book just to jump into, kind of skydive into and, uh, or parachute into in the middle of it, but I'm gonna do it. Um, it's, a, it's a dense book. It's, I mean, the most thorough articulation of the gospel from Romans chapter one through Romans chapter 16 from, from the fall and the curse to the, the reason the law was given to the need for Jesus to the extravagance of the love of God displayed through the cross and through the resurrection to this point in Romans chapter eight where he begins to flesh out what then it means to live life in God in this life as a new creation. And so this is how he says it in Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh. So we're indebted, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So he, he likens this tendency to live with an orphan heart or an orphan spirit to to this battle that we've talked about in prior weeks, in a prior series, and we talked about the battle with the flesh. He uses that language here. If we continue to live with this orphan heart, according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, or the, or the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Don't get too hung up on the, the um, like references to gender here in terms of sons instead of daughters. Uh, he is speaking to a Roman context of which, um, you know, actually regarded men higher than women. And, and in that sense, women were then in the gospel brought to a level where there are no, no longer males or females, but all, all are one in Christ, as he says in Galatians, when he uses the same language of the spirit of adoption. So it's actually good news for men and women to be called sons of God in this reference from a Roman perspective. But, but you can, at the same token, you can say sons or daughters of God. If you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So he, he references this, this phrase that, that Jesus himself prayed, Abba, Father. There in the garden, Jesus cried out to his father in, in agony for, for mercy. And he, he 
and he refers to his father in that familiar way. Abba, father, daddy, father. The father in whom I know and in whom I have relationship with. We now have that privilege, that right, to call out to our father in that familiar way. Just like you would call your own father in that familiar way. It's got that tone of familiarity. So it is for you in Christ. You now have that spirit of adoption as sons or as daughters. By now, and through that inner witness of the spirit, you can cry out, Abba, Father. For the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. This is the new life that's available for you and for me. We've been liberated. Now we need to learn to live liberated. We need to learn to live as ones who are loved, as ones who have now been adopted, who have received a spirit of adoption, who now come into right relationship with the Father, who we, who, who we actually begin to walk in familiar relationship with. So let's unpack this. Let's, let's help understand and define and discern what this orphan heart is really like. And then we'll, we'll contrast that with what's available to us as a child of God. Because like I said at, at the outset, we don't just wish this away or cast it out. Instead, we displace it. So you, you really need to meditate on what's available to you in Christ and you begin to displace that orphan heart with the heart of a child of God. So firstly is this, the orphan regards God not just as master but also as taskmaster. The orphan regards God not just as master and in following weeks we'll talk about our identity in King Jesus and the fact that we're submitted and surrendered to him. But the orphan takes it beyond just the, the, the obvious submission to God as master and thinks primarily through the lens of God as a taskmaster. For those of us who've grown up in the church, you oftentimes you think of God as a, as a God who's given us a list of do's and don'ts and he's happy when you follow those things, and he's unhappy when you don't follow those things. That becomes the primary lens through which you see your father as a taskmaster. This is the trap of the Pharisees and the Judaizers. This is the trap of the, the legalists, the ones who feel like they're, they're never doing enough. There's always something more. There's not always another nuance to this law by, by which I could follow or adhere more closely to somehow please God. It's the subtle temptation to think that we can earn right standing with God. But every time we fall into that trap and we begin to see God as a taskmaster, rather than just master, the one in whom we are submitted, we're taking away from the sufficiency of Christ. We're, we're running away from that, that central reality of the gospel that it's through Christ and Christ alone that we are made right with our Father. God has already made his love evident to you. You don't have to strive, you don't have to look further than the Father's love poured out for you on the cross through the sacrifice of his own son. Look no further than the love of the Father's um, love poured out for you through his son. So that is the orphan. It's one who thinks of God primarily as taskmaster. Well, the child of God, to contrast that, the child of God is one who is submitted to the Father out of love. 
There is a spirit of submission, of wanting to please the Father, but it's, it's intrinsically and separably um, tied to love. I want to please him because I love him. So let me set the record straight. Love and obedience go hand in hand. Always, they go hand in hand. Love without obedience isn't true love. Obedience without love isn't true obedience. Every time. First John Again, John puts it like this, and, and I would encourage you, if you want to dive more into your identity as a child of God, read John's first letter, 1 John, um, sometime. And it's just, it's so densely packed with what's available to you and I as a child of God. But he says this, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, our love for the Father is demonstrated by now a, a clean break from our old way of thinking, our old, our old way of life. We don't love the world anymore like we used to. Now we love the Father, and therefore our, our life and our obedience changes as well. The two are inseparable. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, they're not from the Father, but they're from the world. So he makes it very clear that love and obedience, they go they go hand in hand. That obedience comes, that submission to the Father comes out of a heart of love. So second is this. The orphan is independent and self-reliant because they are convinced that they cannot trust anyone else. The spirit of independence and self-reliance because they've been burned so many times, they've been hurt so many times, they've realized that they can't trust anybody so there's kind of this cynicism towards other people. But you can know this, that when your freedom is an excuse to be independent and self-reliant, that we are out of step with the love of the Father. The love of the Father is opposed to cynicism and a critical spirit. So that independent, self-reliant spirit that thinks that you have to look out for yourself that you have to fight to survive for yourself. That's your orphan heart. Galatians chapter five, Paul says it like this, for you're called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So yes, Christ has set you free. You're not, you're not uh, bound to, to be dictated by other people. In that sense, you are independent from, from, from other people. But don't allow your freedom to be an opportunity for the flesh. And the flesh, again, is like that orphan heart. So allow the love of God to, be, to, to come and bear fruit in your life by serving one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is another reason that community is so important. We cannot know love outside of community. We can think that we know love in our highly controlled, insulated bubble, especially in the 21st century, where so much can be consumed from afar on a media screen. We can easily think that we can know love, but in reality, it's this, this form of love that's in our highly controlled, insulated bubble. But I want to tell you, that is not love. Love opens themselves up to trust someone, to know someone, to be unoffendable. So to contrast that, the child of God 
is dependent on God and God alone and can confidently submit to others. Jesus is our perfect example of this, of being submitted to and dependent on the Father and the Father alone. So not codependent on other people, not needing other people, but dependent on God. And because of that dependence on God, being able to submit to others. You know, Jesus was the most secure, the most submitted person you could, uh, you could ever know. It was because he was securely positioned in the love of the Father that, even though he was a king, he could bow down and he'd wash his disciples' feet. It's why he would not say a word to, dissem- uh, to, to defend himself in front of the religious leaders, the chief priests. He could confidently submit to others, and that is the heart of a child of, of God. You know, if you want a, a crash course on what it means to be a child of God, read the Gospels through the lens of Jesus really leading the way for us as the, the firstborn of all creation, right, right? He really paved the way for us. He shows us how to live as one fully secure, fully confident in who he is in the Father. That's a great crash course as well. So I'm just, I'm just loading you up. First John's a great place to be. The gospel's through that lens of being a child of God. Jesus made the way. Third is this. I got a lot of ground to cover here. So third is this. There's 30. There's 30 attributes. So that's how far we're going to know. Skin. There's not. There's six. <laughs> so we're almost halfway, but... There's six. Three is this. Val, uh, the orphan values obedience over relationship. There should never be a de-emphasis of relationship. There should never be a de-emphasis of relationship. In Luke chapter 10, the story is told of, of Mary and Martha. You guys are familiar with that story. And Mary becomes the one who sits at Jesus' feet while, while her sister is slaving away in the kitchen preparing away the meal. And Martha, with, with her orphan spirit starting to stir within her, she gets all angry at Mary and calls out to Jesus and says, come on, rebuke her. She, she needs to, to get in the kitchen and help me. And Jesus says that Mary had chosen the good portion. She had discovered this one thing that was necessary, and she had chosen the good portion as she sat at the feet of Jesus. This is like the older son saying that he had done all the right things. But when he, when he spoke out like that in resentment, he was revealing that he didn't really know the true character of his father. He didn't really trust the character of his father to be one that was really that good and kind and generous and gentle. So he contrasts that heart of an orphan that values obedience over relationship with the heart of a child of God. The child of God values relationship first and foremost. This is the way Jesus summarizes the very gospel, the very message that he came to proclaim, this message of the kingdom. In John chapter 17, verse three, as he's praying to the Father, he says, and this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's how he defines it. This is eternal life. This is what you are destined for. This is your eternity in heaven, is to know God. It's not to do things or to somehow please him in any other way than just to know him. And we see that story written from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. 
the story of how God, the, the restoration of all things is God coming and dwelling with us, in relationship with us. And so a child of God begins to actually embrace that and realize that is their destiny, is relationship first and foremost. Jesus says like this in, in John chapter 15, that I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So all that doing, all that busyness, the religious activity that we do apart from him, it means nothing. But instead, when we abide in him and relationship with him and true love with him, that's when the true fruit of the kingdom and the true fruit or outflow of that love relationship comes bursting forth. Fourth is this. The orphan is insecure, but usually quite good at covering their insecurity. They get to be pretty crafty and skilled at, at covering up their insecurities. We talked about this last week, you know, regarding venturing out into that territory where we feel insecure. That becomes an invitation for us to invite the love of God to meet us there. When we do that, when we venture out into that territory, when we begin to feel insecurities brewing up. We're feeling the effects of our life being built on some other foundation other than the word of God, other than God himself. We're on insecure ground. So we contrast that with the child of God. The child of God is insecure in, in the Lord and lives out relationship with others in an authentic, open, and honest way. Because they're so secure in the Lord, they can actually begin to live out their life with others in a way that's truly open and vulnerable and honest. This is God's best for you. I want to tell you that. This is God's best for you. This has become a rarity in our generation. True authenticity and openness and, and honesty. So I encourage you to embrace this as God's best for your life. If you do not have anybody in your life right now that you are open and honest and authentic with, where you can be your true self, then I encourage you to reach out. Reach out to a friend. Reach out to your spouse. Tell them. Reach out to me. We'll help you begin to break through those barriers of that orphan heart and allow, allow the person that God's created you to be to come out. This is why we push people to be in a life group. There's something that happens as you, as you gather in a more familiar place, you know, outside of the walls of a church, in a living room, or around a table, and you begin to do life with people. You, be, you begin to realize that, that people are not judging you. you. You realize that other people have hurts and hangups and, and brokenness themselves. And you begin to actually realize you can be honest and you can be open and authentic with people. And that is the love of the Father to put you in those contexts that allow that to come out of you. Amen? I told you this is going to be uncomfortable. This is going to be challenging. Fifth is this. These last two we're going to spend a little bit more time on. So, Fifth is this. The orphan is addicted to and strives for the praise, approval, and acceptance of other people. The orphan is addicted to and strives for the praise, approval, and acceptance of other, of other people. And honestly, we have grown now an entire generation that is addicted to praise and approval and acceptance 
because of social, social media. Social media has created this proliferation in, within a platform of ready-made um, uh, access to, to sources that can feed that orphan heart in us that longs for easy acceptance and approval and praise of other people. But that mentality, it feeds the orphan heart. It's never enough. I'll tell you that. It's never enough. There's so much now research being done in, uh, in neuroscience and psychology revealing the effects of that sort of superficial affirmation and praise from people. The actual releases of dopamine within our body that get released when we receive that sort of um, affirmation through likes and notifications. Here, here's some, just some of the research. Dr. Susan Weinshek wrote this article where, where she coined this term to refer to the, the, um, the process in the brain that releases dopamine through, through likes and then our desire to want more likes. She referred to that, or she coined this term, scrolling dopamine loop. So when you bring up the feed on one of your favorite apps, the dopamine loop has become engaged, said Dr. Weinshek. With every photo you scroll through, headline you read, or link you go to, you're feeding the loop, which makes you want more. And it just makes you want to come back for more. I mean, there's a reason social media platforms have been built the way that they have been built, and they've evolved the way that they've evolved, because they're learning what keeps people coming back. So rather than just mindlessly going along with the culture of our day, what if as children of God we stopped and we began to discern what was happening to our hearts. What was so fascinating is because of what's being discovered now in neuroscience, other platforms are taking advantage of this research to increase social media use and encourage people to return using some of the same principles casinos use to entice repeat gamblers. And these platforms are doing this through the dopamine scrolling loop and encouraging people to return to their site to check out what their friends are doing as well as through updates and push notifications. That is just feeding that orphan heart. That God has something better for us. I'll tell you that. So we contrast that with the, the heart of a child of God. The child of God hears the affirmation of the Father clearly and doesn't need praise, approval, acceptance from other people. Because they, they so clearly hear the affirmation of the Father. You know, affirmation and praise from other people can be great. And I'm not saying you can never receive it nor never appreciate it. But it can't be what we need, nor can it be what we run to. We need to, we need to stop that, that crave, that insatiable desire, that addiction to, pray, to praise and approval from other people. And instead, lean into the voice of the Father, the affirmation of the Father over your life. Jesus said that my sheep hear my voice. So that's a promise spoken over your life. That you can hear the voice of God and his affirmation over your life. This is, this is what Jesus centered himself in as he started his public ministry. You know, as Jesus was baptized publicly by, by John, the Baptist, uh, John, John the Baptizer, John, John the Baptist, he came out of the water and the clouds opened and he heard the voice, the audible voice of his father saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Why was that so important? 
Well, he was just about to get launched into fame and notoriety and the crowds flocking to him and, and the demands for his time and attention constantly. And he needed to be centered, calibrated. Like, that needed to be his reference point, was the affirmation of the Father. Didn't matter what whimsical affirmation he received in this world. Because honestly, all that affirmation comes and goes. But that affirmation of the Father will stand true over your life. So do you hear that over your life? This is my son, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. He's speaking that over you. If you'll attune your ear to hear it. Lastly is this. The orphan has shut off their heart from love expressed on a deep level. And therefore, they, they seek comfort in counterfeits. These counterfeits are addictions and compulsions, busyness, or hyper-religious activity. Which I know is quite the, quite the list, like quite the spectrum. But if we're, if we're honest, we'll recognize them all as counterfeits. Counterfeit comforts that we run to, we all do, to numb pain in our life. Because there's a certain hole in our heart that we haven't learned to express to the Father, we fill it with counterfeits. Addictions, compulsions, busyness, or hyper-religious activity. And I believe in this moment, the 21st century, we need a reformation in the church in this area. An orphan has been so hurt and wounded emotionally that they resist opening up and learning how to express love on a deep level. So instead of learning to be vulnerable and authentic with the Lord, we run to these little shortcuts, these counterfeits. This is talked about extensively in a more recent book called uh, The Other Half of the Church, or 20, 30 years ago, a book by the title of The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality or Emotionally Healthy Discipleship by Peter Cesaro. Amazing books that unpack the need for believers to realize that God has created you as an emotional being. And therefore, your emotions, your emotions don't need to be separated out from your relationship with God. You read the Psalms, and what do you see in the Psalms? You see... You see a relationship with God that is raw and emotional, it's experiential, it's authentic. He lays it all, he lets it all hang out before God. In Peter Cesaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he lays out these stages of faith, which I don't think are originally his, but I have those on the screen. Will you throw those up there? And he lays out these Six stages of faith. The first is our life-changing, this moment in time, which is life-changing awareness of God. This is your born-again experience where all of a sudden you begin to see who you used to be and now what's available in Christ. You, you, you're made new. You're born again. Stage two is discipleship. You're learning. You're, you're beginning to grow. You're learning about spiritual disciplines. You're beginning to, to dive into the word of God for yourself. Stage three is the active life. You begin serving, you begin to be active in your gifts, you begin to discover how God created you to contribute in the body of Christ. But then, inevitably, and that's what's so fascinating about um, emotional, uh, emotionally healthy spirituality, and then what's now being uh, talked about in that other book that I quoted, or that I stated earlier, the other half of the church, um, is inevitably what ends up happening for, for most all believers is they end up hitting this wall 
where all of a sudden stagnation sinks in, their, their initial growth is kind of jolted or, or stopped. And what is required is for us to burst through this wall and to dive into what he calls the journey inward, to learn that there are parts of our heart that God needs to, to heal and do a work inwardly in us. Peter Cesaro says this, the wall, more than anything else, cuts off our attachments to who we think we ought to be or who we falsely think that we are. Layers of our counterfeit self are shed. Something truer, that is Christ in and through us, slowly emerges. And so he talks about the process of bursting through the wall to this journey inward to learn how to express your heart in a more authentic and emotionally um, experiential way with the Father. And from that place, you begin this journey outward of greater victory, greater freedom, uh, greater wholeness, a healed heart. And that is the sixth uh, aspect of a child of God. The child of God, we contrast that with the child of God, which lives with a healed heart that is able to both express and receive love in a healthy way. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward as we wrap up. God wants to give you a healed heart. He wants to teach you to know him. He wants to teach you to, to learn how to express your love and to receive love from him. But this, this is not instant. It's, it's a journey. It's a journey to learn to live as one who is loved, to, to learn to live healed and made new in Christ. It truly is a journey. In that book that I wrote, A Prince from the Ashes, I shared a little bit of my own story and how Growing up in a house of brokenness and chaos, I kind of took on the role as, in the, as being a middle child, as the, um, the keeper of peace, the peacemaker. I, I began to embrace kind of that part of my personality, which is more passive. But some of my siblings began to resent me. They began, they, my, my older stepbrother, he would call me Mr. Perfect, but he would say it in a, in a derogatory way, okay? Um, he'd call me Mr. Perfect. It's like everything was handed to me. Everything was easy for me and everything went well for me. Um, I began to resent my my siblings because they made our life really difficult. (laughs) I mean, they made stupid choices. And I'm like, here I am. I'm like the older brother in the the parable of the two sons. I'm just doing the best I can to keep this this family together, guys. Why can't you help us out? Like, why are you making this so difficult on everyone? I began to resent them. I began to find that there was this resentment hidden deep in my heart, resenting my own mother for taking your own life. I began to resent her for them. You would think that it would just be grieving loss, that it would just be, you know, the, the love of a son that misses her, his mother. But it wasn't. There was this anger. That's the orphan heart in me that would resent my own mother for taking her own life. It's the orphan heart that begins to grow and give a breeding ground for self-righteousness that looks down your nose at other people as they make their own stupid choices. I began to realize the Lord wanted to do a deeper work in my heart. And that's the journey God's had me on over the last few years, amen. If you don't stand to your feet, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord this morning. I told you this was gonna be challenging. (laughs) Uncomfortable at times, but that is the essence and the power and the extravagance of the love of God, that he wants your heart, the deepest parts of your heart. If you'd close your eyes, bow your heads in this place those joining online, if you would also respond right now, give space 
to respond to the Lord right now. Don't just move on with your life. God gifts us. He gives us a gift to stop at moments and respond to him. And I know we unpacked a lot this morning in regards to the orphan heart and how different that is from who you are as a child of God. But I want you to search your own heart this morning and give God an opportunity as the gentle, good, kind, and generous father that he is to call you deeper into his heart. He really is that good that he'd call you, that he'd point something out, that he'd speak to your heart. There's areas in which you are returning back to your old life, your old self. I believe there are others in this place this morning that you've maybe never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never made that commitment to follow Jesus. Maybe you're joining us online and you know this morning you need to make things right with God. You wanna be called the child of God. You wanna respond to the love of God in that way. If that's you, if you'd raise your hand in this place, or if you're joining us online, you'll find a number that appears on the, the bottom of the screen. You can text us at that number so we can reach out to you. Awesome, thank you. So if, if you raise your hand, or even if you didn't, you can pray a prayer like this. Lord, this morning I come to the end of myself. I realize that I can't clean up my, my, my life. I can't do anything to, to deal with my sin issues. So instead, this morning I come to the end of myself. I, I throw myself at your feet. I ask for mercy. I lean into your grace. I want to be made new. I want to be a new creation in you. I want a new start, a new life. I want to be born again. No turning back, Lord. I'm going to follow you for the rest of my days. No turning back. Amen. For all of the rest of us in this house this morning, I want to, in these last couple moments, as the worship team sings this song, Here is Love, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the love of the Father. Lord, I pray over every heart that's been gathered with us this morning, online and in person. Holy Father, generous Father, reveal your love to their hearts in a personal way. If they're more like the younger, uh, younger son, or more like the older son, I pray that there would be a softening of their hearts that occurs this morning to open themselves up in a greater way to you and to your love that actually begins to invade every aspect of their life. Maybe the regions of their heart that they've kept to themselves. Maybe the, the aspects of your character that they've, they've avoided because they... They just don't want to be disappointed. I pray this morning you'd minister to their hearts, that you'd do a healing work in hearts, that you'd call them to yourself in a fresh way in your name, Jesus. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.